0: When we first encounter a person who's grieving there are probably lots of questions that come to mind Uh, i'm indebted this morning to eugene peterson who has written uh, very wisely about the grieving process and pastoral care in the face of grieving and he says that of all of those questions there are two very important questions that we ought to ask a person who is grieving And that the order in which these questions are asked is very important as well. The questions are, how do you feel and what happened? How do you feel in the midst of your grief? And what happened that caused this grief? So I'm I'm thinking we have been through a period of 15 months in this pandemic. 15 months that are probably full of all kinds of grieving or the feelings associated with that And so I'd like to invite you to call out just one word, maybe two words at the most To answer that question. How have you felt? How have you felt this past year? In in the midst of this pandemic, what are a word or two that you would use to describe that feeling that grief? Frustration Lost, overwhelmed, confined, confined, worried, worried, imprisoned, perhaps. These are some pretty strong words, aren't they? And I'm sure the list could go on and on and on. This morning, I want to look back at a story that took place in Jerusalem probably close to 2600 years ago a long long time ago but it left the Israelites the survivors of of what had happened there in Jerusalem it, it it left them feeling very similar emotions as I read through that story again some of the the words that could be applied are shocked appalled horrified terrified guilty vulnerable, claustrophobic, helpless, debased, humiliated, violated, abandoned, betrayed, bereft, starved, punished, and angry. Just need to take a deep cleansing breath right now. (laughs) Some of those words may have been words that uh, you have felt in the last 15 months, but they certainly felt them. So why is it important to ask this, how do you feel question first? Uh, A question that could be answered with just a few words perhaps. But it's important to ask that question first when we're talking to somebody who's grieving because our emotions are usually the first layer that needs to be peeled back if we're going to get eventually to the heart of the matter, right? The emotions are those things that are right there on the surface. It's the stuff that dominates your thoughts. It's this feeling that just has to be dealt with if you're going to get any place. There are things that are consuming our energy and our attention And if we're not ready to express our feelings, then we're probably not ready to help somebody else process their grief, right? Need to deal with your own junk before you deal with somebody else's stuff? Once we've asked about a person's feelings, next we turn to the details of what happened. A simple question, what happened? What led to this? What brought on this horrible feeling that you have? Over the past 15 months, We've all heard what happened, haven't we? There have been people that have lost their jobs. There are financial losses that people have have incurred. There's the isolation that we have all felt at one point or another. There were political divisions that were just made worse by all of this. There's been illness, there have been deaths. And the list goes on and on and on. What happened? A pandemic happened well in that situation 2600 years ago in Jerusalem the Babylonians had invaded Israel and they had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem and for two years the people of Jerusalem couldn't get anything in or out and finally after two years the Babylonian army broke through the walls what had happened they had suffered famine Famine to the point that there were people in Jerusalem who were eating their children Because of the fact that they were starving That's a part of the biblical story. We don't talk about we don't think about much, right? But how horrible would it be to get to the point where you would consider eating your own children in order to stay alive There had been the hope that other foreign countries might come to their rescue. That hope was never realized. The king at some point did find a way to escape Jerusalem, (laughs) leaving the people of Jerusalem there to continue suffering. But the, the, the king took flight. Finally, when the walls were broken down, the temple was looted and burned. The palace and other important buildings in Jerusalem were destroyed. The wall around the city was demolished. No more protection from that wall. Leaders and priests and even children were slaughtered by the invading Babylonians. Eventually, when it was over, many people, the majority of the people in Jerusalem, were marched 600 miles to Babylon to be exiled for the next 70 years. The event of the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonian army was a devastating enough event that 2,600 years later, Jewish people continue to commemorate this and other disasters that the Jewish people have experienced. Every year they have a day of fasting, falls in July or August, the 9th of Av is what it's called. And on that day of fasting, commemorating these disasters in their history, there is a book of the Bible which is mandatory reading. It's only five chapters long and you can find it, it's called Lamentations, right after Jeremiah in the Old Testament if you want to join me right there. Every year, thousands of years later, the book of Lamentations is read as part of that commemoration of that disaster. Lamentations is a funeral service for the death of the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah, the one who wrote the book of Lamentation, is the pastoral caregiver who works with the survivors of that disaster to process their grief. So why is this second question, what happened, so important? This question pins the feelings that we had to an actual, historical, concrete event. Why do we feel this way? It's because this happened, a thing that can be put on the calendar. March of 2020, when the pandemic finally hit our shores and began to affect our life. The feelings that we have can be pinned to, anchored to something that happened in history, something that actually happened in a concrete way, thus making these feelings accessible to grace. Because grace can also be anchored in history, can't it? I'm thinking about the the disaster that was 400 and some years of slavery in Egypt something for which they grieved and continue to grieve. And while that was a a thing that you could actually find on the calendar, so to speak, so is the Exodus, right? The feelings of being abandoned and betrayed, the feelings of being enslaved and oppressed, those were how it felt to them. But when grace came in the form of Moses and the Exodus, you can also find that on a calendar, right? God's grace met the grief. We think of the grief of Good Friday every year, the day that Jesus was crucified, an innocent man, the Son of God, crucified for all of our sin, how horrible, disastrous an event that is. You can put it on the calendar every year, it's Good Friday, but you can also put on the calendar Easter Sunday, can't you? The grief of Good Friday is anchored to the celebration of resurrection of Easter Sunday morning. So it's important for us not only to process and articulate the feelings that we're having, the feelings of grief, but also to be able to say, what happened and how was that met by God's grace? Peterson writes, sorrow that does not have historical ballast becomes anxiety. And turns finally into mental illness or emotional bitterness history he says is necessary not to explain but to anchor sorrow let me read that again sorrow that does not have historical ballast becomes anxiety and turns finally into mental illness or emotional bitterness History is necessary not to explain but to anger or to anchor sorrow. The Book of Lamentations is an exercise in answering these two questions: how do we feel and what happened? Lamentations is Jeremiah's ways of Je- Jeremiah's way of helping the survivors of Jerusalem name their grief. Lamentations is a collection of four acrostic Poems. You know what an acrostic poem is, right? Four acrostic poems and a prayer that looks somewhat like an acrostic poem. So chapters 1 through 4 are these poems. They go from A to Z, or in the Hebrew alphabet, from Aleph to Ta. Pastor Josh probably really knows how to pronounce those words. Sorry. Anyway, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters in it. Aleph is the first and Ta is the last. And in an acrostic poem, Jeremiah is going to use all 22 letters to express how the people feel and what happened. I was reminded as I was thinking of acrostic poems of elementary school. At Christmas time every year, one of the activities that our teacher had us do to fill time while we were, you know, thinking so much of Christmas vacation that we couldn't concentrate on math or spelling or anything else, but we would take the word Christmas and write it down uh, vertically on a piece of paper, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, and then the teacher would say, we're gonna make an acrostic poem. For each of these letters, you need to write a sentence or a few words about Christmas. Cookies happy, uh, red. I, I, for some reason, I don't know if I wasn't imagining enough or, or, or didn't know Christmas well enough, but I always struggled to come up with a word or a phrase for all of those letters. It, it was really a stretching exercise in my young life to think of something to, for all of those letters. So imagine 22 letters. Turn with me to chapter 1. We'll begin looking at, uh, at what he does here. One of the most common ways of dealing with pain and grief is to make light of it. Oh, oh that's okay, it's okay, it's, it's gonna be over soon. To try to get past it as soon as possible. But An acrostic poem keeps from glossing over all of the pain. It forces us to plumb the depths of the grief that we're feeling. Chapter bit one begins with the words, "'How deserted lies the city, once so full of people, How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. That's the first letter. The first word of that in Hebrew started with aleph. Verse 2 is the second letter. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her they have become her enemies that stanza begins with the the second letter bet in the Hebrew language so there's 22 verses in chapter 1 each verse is three couplets long each stanza begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet And in chapter 1, this first poem, Jeremiah describes what Jerusalem's troubles look like from the outside. It's a third-person account, as if he was outside of the city of Jerusalem, looking over the broken-down walls, describing what the people had experienced as they were besieged for two years, and finally the walls were broken and catastrophe cut loose. It's a description of all that was felt and all that happened from an outside on looking kind of a position. Chapter two begins, let's read the first couple verses here. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Therefore, or excuse me, without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. There's the first two letters of the 22 letters. Again, three stanzas for each letter, for each verse, or three couplets for each stanza or verse. Jeremiah extends the description of the feelings and what happened though by including divine wrath It's not just that Jerusalem is suffering Jerusalem is suffering because of their sin They're experiencing the wrath of God makes it a little bit worse, doesn't it? This is not an enemy that you can easily be done with This is someone who is everywhere at all times chapter 3 I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. One was, chapter 1 was bad. Chapter 2 was worse because now God is involved. Chapter 3 is the climax, climax of how bad it can get. It's 66 verses long, which is 22 times 3. There are three verses for each letter, so each verse begins with the same letter. So it's A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 all the way down through the end of the alphabet. The suffering is intensified by being put into the first person. Up until now, it's the onlooker looking objectively from the outside, but now it's the sufferer himself, herself speaking. First person, inside, individual perspective, pounding verse after verse after verse. Chapter 4, how the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull, the sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. Do you notice a difference in these first two letters of the acrostic? How do they compare with chapter one and chapter two? One of the differences is that there's only two couplets for each letter instead of three. And it returns to the objective third-person perspective. It's no longer the, the person in Chapter 3 who is experiencing these horrors himself or herself. So there's a more distant, a little bit more of a matter-of-fact tone to Chapter 4. Jeremiah uses the images of punishment and illness, war and imprisonment, and even wild beasts to help put a name on the suffering so that it can be grasped with two hands and handed over to God. So the ark is chapter 1, it's horrible. Chapter 2 is even worse because God is involved. Chapter 3 is as bad as it gets, just this pounding headache of suffering in the first person, it's happening to me. Chapter four lightens up. It's shorter, it's a little bit more objective. You've put a name on things. Which brings us to chapter five. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless, our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling prowling over it, You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Chapter five is just one couplet for each letter of the alphabet. And actually, it's not each letter of the alphabet. It's not an acrostic poem, but the 22 verses are reminiscent of it. It's remember chapter one, remember chapter two, remember chapter three, remember chapter four. Well, we've had the opportunity now in those four poems to be able to name our pain from A to Z. This chapter also is different in that it begins as a prayer. Remember, Lord. This is a conversation with God, not a complaint fest The meter changes to a less emotionally charged meter of ordinary prayer. Jeremiah provides words for reaching out to God even though the destroyed temple and the sacrificial system is no longer available to them Jeremiah gives them words to be able to have a conversation with God chapter 5 is almost summed up in one word enough four chapters have gone by going over the same ground in four different ways, naming the pain, the suffering, the grief, so thoroughly that Jeremiah and the people are now able to relinquish that pain into God's hands. The prayer in chapter 5 puts an end to the repetition. Peterson writes, If there's a beginning to evil, pain, suffering, and grief, there's also an end to it. Amen? we can identify when the trouble started when we first heard the news of the pandemic when we first got word that we weren't going to be able to go to a family funeral that we first got word that our job was now in jeopardy but if we've had the opportunity to talk about how we feel and to talk about what happened then there's an end to it eventually Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book a while ago called On Death and Dying, in which she articulates five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. It's almost as if if she was looking back to the five chapters of Lamentations, And giving us another modern way of looking at Jeremiah's wonderful collection of poems. So what are some key lessons that we can take from Lamentations? Key lessons about grief naming. First, I would suggest that it's okay to name our grief in the strongest, angriest, most emotionally charged language possible. I give you permission to yell at God. That's what Jeremiah is doing in part, isn't he? He's screaming at the top of his voice about the pain that the people of Jerusalem have experienced and the anger that they're feeling. So how do you feel? Let me tell you how I feel. It's okay. God can take it. Secondly, make sure that we connect our feelings with the events that caused the grief. It's important to talk about our feelings, but it's especially important to say, and the reason I'm feeling this way is because of something that actually happened. I cannot tell you <clears throat> what a blessing it was for Tina Owens to script Andrew's memorial service. You may not be aware of that, but the the comments that I made in a, in a, in a uh, a memorial service the the comments that Brian Massey a family friend who's a psychologist made most of that was scripted by Tina Tina is the kind of a person who who needed to have something that she could she could manage she could she could occupy herself with and so for the the month or so after Andrew's death she occupied herself by writing a memorial service for him in which she articulated the feelings and she talked about what had happened And I have to admit, and maybe you were a little uncomfortable too, but it was a little bit uncomfortable having somebody hand me a script that said, I want you to talk about suicide and sin, as well as mercy. How uncomfortable it was for Brian to to be able to have to, to articulate what mental health issues Andrew was experiencing. We learned a new word, misophonia. But countless times since that memorial service, people have talked to me and said, I can't tell you how helpful it was to hear these things being talked about, to hear the words being used. Because along with the mental health, the misophonia, the depression, the poor choice of making the, that he made to end his life, there's also the mercy of God. We couldn't get to the mercy of God without Tina helping us talk about the feelings and the events and what was going on. So make sure that we connect our feelings to the events that caused the grief, to put them in words. Thirdly is the importance of talking about it with other people. I don't know about you, but my tendency is to clam up, to go into hiding, to crawl under the sheets. (laughs) Nobody's gonna understand what I'm going through. Nobody knows what this feels like, so I might as well not talk about it. And That's a lie from the pit of hell. One of the most important things we need to do is to talk about it with people who will listen. Friends, family members, a spiritual director, counselors or therapists, a pastor, a Stephen minister. Find somebody who will listen because grieving is a communal process, not an individual process. We cannot grieve in a healthy way without including other people. That's why Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, to give us a script to follow in our grieving, to do it together. Tina's writing of that memorial service certainly helped her, but it also helped all of us, didn't it? Fourthly, Not only naming is important, but praying about it is important. The first four chapters of Lamentations are spent with a little bit of fist shaking and finger wagging. But chapter five is turned into a prayer. It's important for us to name the grief that we're experiencing. It's important for us to think about the things that brought it about but it's even more important for us eventually to to have a conversation with God about it. One of the things that I like least about the book of Psalms is how much grumbling is there. (laughs) My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You go through Psalms and over and over and over again you hear angry people shaking their fist in God's face, but without exception Those Psalms end with praise, don't they? You have to get this stuff out. You have to talk about this with other people, but you also have to talk about this with God if you wanna be able to get to the place where you can look back and say, there's a silver lining there. God's mercy was present. God's grace was available. The temple may have been destroyed, no more sacrifices, no more offerings, but God is still there to talk to. Lynn's training for chaplaincy included a unit of CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. She worked at a hospital in Boston, uh, visiting patients, and then once a week, I think it was, she got together with a number of other chaplains in training, and they would have a group session. One might think they'd talk about the patients and what happened there, but more often than not, it was talking about what was going on in their own hearts and minds. When you start to help somebody else a lot of your own stuff comes to mind, doesn't it? And if you haven't processed those feelings, that grief, those problems, then you're probably not going to be able to hear what that other person is saying very clearly, are you? Because what they're saying might be something that happened to you. There are people in our congregation, women who have been raped, And if you haven't processed that, then you're going to have a really hard time helping another woman who's been raped, right? Because your own feelings will cloud your judgment. Your own feelings will keep you from hearing what's going on in a unique story. So CPE is in large part an opportunity for for people, caregivers, to process their, their grieving, process their life so that they'll be more healthy, more helpful in helping another person process their grief. In a sense, that's what we all need to do. We need to work through our own grief. We need to eventually put the pain and grieving behind us, but not until we have adequately plumbed the depths of our own misery within the loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jeremiah for a funeral service for the city of Jerusalem that also helps us to process our own grief. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to briefly process some of the grief that you've been feeling for the last year, year and three months. The first question is, how are you feeling? In your own private prayer, would you use the word or the words that are most descriptive of how you're feeling as a result of this pandemic and the things that have happened? How do you feel? Then the question, what happened? What was the event? What was the the news bulletin? What happened that has led to you feeling this way? When did it happen? Where did it take place? What were the details, the concrete historical details? What happened that's led to this feeling? just have a brief conversation a prayer with God where you talk about that feeling you talk about those events maybe you shake your fist Lord we thank you that in the midst of our grieving in the midst of our pain in the midst of our sin in the midst of our regret we have Jesus. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Father, I'm not naive enough to believe that two or three minute prayer at the end of a service is enough for us to process the things that we're experiencing and feeling but Lord I pray that you would help us as a people not to be terrified of grief but instead to recognize your presence in the midst of it thank you for the tools that we have to be able to process it in a healthy way Lord help us to do that and help us to do that with one another Lord, we do pray for the ministry of uh, Stephen Ministers meeting with grieving people. Lord, we pray that you would call people to be Stephen Ministers. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we put this program in place, that we would be able to help one another in a much more healthy way, process life, do life together. Thank you for these tools. Thank you for these lessons. Thank you for your presence, most of all, your Holy Spirit in us, guiding us as we live life. In Christ's name we pray, and all of God's children say.